Our second reading today comes from the chapter of Col- uh, third chapter of Colossians, um, starting with verse 1. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. The word of the Lord. Now, uh, this week and next week, we're going to dive into chapter 3 of Paul's letter to Colossians. And I'm really thankful to actually have both of these weeks. um, Because for me, this pericope or section of scripture is often what turns people away from Paul. And sometimes from Christian faith altogether. And I know that there are people who would say that if this passage is offensive or troublesome to you, well, then that's just the big old sign that Jesus put over you to draw attention to your life. But that's also why this passage and others like it in the Pauline letters have been nicknamed clobber passages. They're the parts of the Bible that we, as a church, have used to shame people into behaving in a very specific way. They've been used to oppress women, LGBT people, the mentally ill, and they've helped to frame a sexual morality that has actually left a generation of young people with sexual dysfunction. Seattle Pacific University professor and researcher, Dr. Sheena, uh, Tina Shermer-Sellers, I knew I was gonna mess that one up, uh, writes and lectures about how the consistent messages of shame and guilt around sexual activity has imprinted so heavily on young people that even when they are in the most church-approved relationships, so straight and celibate until marriage, that they often cannot undo years and sometimes even decades of previous conditioning that called sex bad. And then they require therapy to undo that. Now there's a film from the early 2000s called Saved. And the premise of the film is a young woman who lives in a town where the local evangelical church holds a lot of power. And her best friend is sent away for homosexual conversion therapy. And she begins to question the way that God has been presented to her over her whole life and what it is that she truly believes. And at one point in the film, the antagonist, who's another teenage girl, 
pulls her Bible out of her backpack and throws it at our heroine and hits her in the back of the head. And she turns around and she picks it up and she walks and she hands it to her and she says, this is not a weapon. It's not a weapon. Neither Jesus, nor Paul for that matter, ever intended their words or their letters to be used as means of oppression, or coercion, power, and control. And yet, we've continued to do exactly that. And ironically, that's precisely what Paul is telling them not to do. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. He's imploring them to focus on the ways that Jesus taught them to live and declares that when they decide to revel in that new way of life, they will no longer be limited and bound or hidden from their potential as a loving community. Paul is telling the church, be better. It's time to live into the freedom that you've been given. And what follows is this list of things that was causing them to limit themselves. Abusive sexual practices. Destructive and injurious ways of treating themselves and others. And greed. This list is not exhaustive, nor is it meant to be specific, though it's often been translated that way. And I think sometimes with Paul, I find it's worth kind of going back and make, taking the effort to translate the Greek and really explore the meaning of those words. And this list of six sins, which I think is fair to call them, even though Paul doesn't use that kind of language, in the Greek are pornea, akatharsian, pathos, epithemi, kakan, and plenexian. Now, some of those words might sound familiar because they have roots to words that we use now, but we're going to take a little bit of a tour between each of them and explore their meanings. Pornea. You probably all can figure out what that word is the root for. It means illicit sexual acts of defilement. Akatharsia. To be unclean and corrupt. Pathos. Now, in our scripture, it was translated as passion, but the meaning is a little bit more vague than that. It can be both that which is endured or suffered and a f- strong feeling of desire. Epithemia. A desire, craving, or longing for that which is forbidden. Kakaros. Translated here as evil. But it describes a state in which things are not as they should be. They're troublesome, injurious, and destructive. And planoxia, the greedy desire to have more. And when you consider the full scope of those words, you can definitely see the thread that is running through them. That abuse and suffering the things of which any community, whether church-sized or nation-sized, have a history of using to manipulate and control those without power. Which brings me to another word, nekru. 
which at the start of verse 5 is translated as death. And death and destruction is how we use this root in our lexicon today. But part of the way to understand the form of the word in our verse is to destroy the power of, or to deprive the power of. These concepts being discussed aren't living creatures, they're ideas. So when we put them to death, what he's really talking about is taking away their power to destroy. So what if we put all of this together and viewed verse 5 a little bit differently? It might sound like this. Therefore, deprive the power of the things which are of the earth. Defilement of sex, moral corruption, afflictions of the mind at which the mind suffers, cravings for what is forbidden, things which are destructive and dangerous, and a greedy desire to have more, which is the worship of a false god. When we unpack the easy narrowness of these things as just being about sex and greed, then we can take the verses away from being clobber verses and reorient them into the gospel of love and justice. A gospel that decries sexual abuse, molestation, and coercion as the evil things they are. And teaches that loving, supportive sexual relationships are blessed and whole. A gospel that has empathy for mental illness and addiction, not ostracization and imprisonment. A gospel that speaks against the destruction of bodies and souls for personal gain or political power. A gospel that declares greed is about more than just money and shows us that we can be greedy about opportunity or privilege, safety, and power. A gospel that tells us to destroy the power of those things so that we can live into the freedom of the loving community to which we have been called and challenged to be. This reorienting is further endorsed by this second list of things that are specific but are also profoundly relational. Anger, malice, slander, lying, and speaking abusively. And just as a point of clarification, abusive language is not the seven words you can't say on television. Abusive language is a convention hall chanting, lock her up and send her back. Abusive language is calling human beings animals and inciting violence against them. These are the sins that we commit against one another. Paul is speaking to the individuals of the church of Colossae as well as he is speaking for them to break away from the things that are destructive to their relationships within their community. It's not just a massive purity test. And this is also why the letter ends with these reminders that the political, Jew, Greek, cultural, circumcised or not, ethnic, barbarian, Scythian, and economic, 
slave and free. That those barriers are gone. That Christ has called us to be better with one another. I've shared before my deep love of the Our Bible app. So for those of you with phones. Um, It's an app that has amazing devotionals, Bible studies, prayers. um, And it's all on your phone. And it's written by, um, majority written by people of color, but also LGBT persons. And Chantel Hinton wrote recently a three-day devotional titled Postures of Resistance. And on the first day, she wrote, Chemically, leaven works by process of decay, wherein the yeast catalyzes a chain reaction to cause the whole batch of flour to rise. Therefore, where death and decay are present, The leaven is able to break down the bacteria and transform it into something good. Spiritually, leaven is our commitment to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. It is that which refuses to let death have the final say. It is our proclamation of our belief in a raised and resurrected body of Christ. And in a world that is entangled in trauma and turmoil, it is clear to me we have not been good stewards of our leaven. That's what Paul is setting the stage for in this first half of chapter 3. He's calling out to the church that this death, this decay of those things which destroy our community and our relationships with one another must be transformed. And next week, we're going to look at what that transformation looks like. And John hinted at it, how we will clothe ourselves. So, as William Dozer used to say at the end of every episode of the campiest superhero show on television, Batman, be sure to return next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And if you don't think it killed me to have to use a DC reference, you don't know me at all. (laughs) But let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come together on a morning where the trouble of the brokenness of our national community weighs heavy. In the last week, we've had four mass shootings. Two in a single day. And these are the moments when we realize that this, the destruction that we cause one another is where the deep change needs to take place. That we have to be stewards of your love, not just within our homes and within our personal relationships or even within our single church. But we have to open our eyes wide to the kingdom that you are leading us to be. Help us don't hold on to that.